Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Before I pray and then preach, um, all of us, of course, were horrified at what happened in El Paso, Texas yesterday, and also in uh, Dayton, Ohio last night. I, I didn't even know about Dayton until I got here to church. I hadn't been paying attention this morning to the news. And so 20 killed in El Paso at latest count, nine in Dayton, and that's also the latest count. And uh, the young man in El Paso it appears to have been an angry angry young man, and I have no idea what the guy in Dayton was doing. Um, You know, this used to be so rare that on the Sunday following a tragedy like that, we would have had a video developed and we would devote some time to it in, in the worship. But this has become so commonplace that we don't do that anymore. If we did, we'd be doing a video on that probably every two or three or four weeks. We are in a nation filled with angry people. We see it exemplified every day. So the message I hope today is a timely one. We'll tie in to all of this. But let's pray for those who suffered loss in El Paso and in Dayton. Pray there'll be no more loss of life and that God will lift and encourage hearts. And somehow in the midst of a horrible tragedy, the Lord will be glorified. Father, that is our prayer, that you will be glorified. We grieve at the loss of life in El Paso and in Dayton. Uh, Father, we grieve at the sin of those who perpetrated these two acts. And, Father, we stand before you this morning almost without words except to cry out to you and to ask you to comfort hearts of those who lost loved ones, uh, to shield and protect from any more incidents like this anywhere in our land, for our people to simmer their rhetoric and be less angry in the way they express themselves. And, Father, I pray that you would help us as the body of Christ, to do the thing which is so very important, and that is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. So, Father, comfort as only you can do today. Encourage our hearts. Bless our two teams in Wisconsin and Moldova. Bring them home safely. Use them for your name's honor and glory. Bless those who serve with family promise this week. Encourage our hearts and encourage the hearts of those who have need. And so, Father, thank you for the sense of your presence in this room. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I brought a notebook to the pulpit today, which those of you who have uh, been with me now for a long time know is very, very unusual. But I am doing so on purpose so that I'll stay on track as I begin this new sermon series. And uh, I'm sure that it's an astonishment to you that I might tend to chase rabbits every once in a while, but I do not want to chase any rabbits today. I want us to stay focused. So today we begin a new series entitled, What in the World is Happening Here? Or What in the World is Happening Here? You can put the emphasis where you want to. 
And here means our culture. It doesn't mean this building. It means in our culture. This has been a, a, a stunning decade. If you go back to 2010, and we're nine and a half years through this decade, and um, there are a lot of things that have happened, some good, some not so good. Think with me about the changes that have happened in the last 10, maybe we'll stretch it out to 12 years, 13 years, but the last 10, 12, 13 years, we are beginning to hear more and more about artificial intelligence. And uh, quite frankly, some of that scares me. Netflix, self-driving cars, Android phones, Tesla, tablets, e-readers, Mars rover, augmented reality devices. Those are those things you put on your head that look like goggles and... And you're seeing things you've never seen before when you, when you put those on. Augmented reality devices. Solar shingles. I've had solar panels for a long time. Solar shingles, not so long. Drive by somebody's house, looks like they've got a normal roof. What you don't know is, uh, those shingles are solar. Robot agility. Meaning robots can now run and jump and leap and soon they'll be doing pull-ups. Gene editing, that frightens me also. Keurig, some of you have a Keurig and you love it. Ten years ago you didn't because you didn't have it. It wasn't around. Hoverboards, if you're over 40, please stay off those. (laughs) Chips on your credit or debit card. Smart watches. I got one. Hadn't made me any smarter, but I've got it. I love it. 3D printed organs. You can now have a replacement trachea or an outer ear that is made by a 3D printer. And who knows what's next? Drones that will deliver your packages to your door. Bionic eyes iPhones that do it all. You don't really need a PC or a laptop anymore. You can do it all on your iPhone. Well, what's next? We don't know, but that's what's occurred over the last 10 or 12 or 13 years. There's a great concern on the part of many born-again Christians, evangelical Christians, about what we see as a very rapidly declining moral values in our country that manifests itself in many ways, including increasing violence, such as what we saw yesterday. There is an increasing persecution of the church worldwide, and there is a confrontational atmosphere in our country that is uncivil and in some cases openly anti-Christian. Now, this series is not a harangue series. It's not going to be a woe is the church series. In fact, I believe we live in the most incredible days of opportunity. It is the greatest time ever to be alive and serving Jesus. 
But we also recognize that the lines are being clearly drawn for the good or for the bad. People no longer attend church as the societal thing to do. Now, you may think, well, that's good. They're coming to church for the right reasons. My take is different. I'm not really concerned why people come. I'm just glad they come because I believe in the power of the gospel. And when someone comes for the right motive or the wrong and they're exposed to the gospel, then God can do something extraordinary. As we have mentioned before in a recent George Barna survey on post the post-Christian atmosphere in America and post-Christian communities, we were quite shocked at some of the results. So I've not had the opportunity to do this yet, but I want you to know the criteria that form the metrics for this startling study of post-Christian America. Criteria, there were thousands of interviews conducted, mostly in the larger cities of our country, and a number of questions were asked. And those who were post-Christian had to answer in the affirmative on nine of the 16 questions. And those that were highly post-Christian had to answer 13 out of the 16 in a certain way. So here were the, here were the, here were the criteria, the metrics. Do not believe in God. Identify as an atheist or an agnostic. Disagree that faith is important in their lives have not prayed to God, at least in the last week, have never made a commitment to Jesus, disagree that the Bible is accurate, have not donated money to a church in the last year, have not attended a church in the last six months, agree that Jesus committed sins, do not feel a responsibility to share their faith, have not read the Bible in the last week, have not volunteered at church in the last week, have not attended Sunday school in the last week, have not attended religious small group in the last week. So you see the, there's some ease in this study. Bible engagement scale is low, meaning they've not read the Bible in the past week and disagree strongly or somewhat strongly that the Bible is accurate and not born again. So those are the metrics and, and the criteria. And the number one post-Christian city in America or area in America is Springfield, Holyoke, Massachusetts followed by Portland, Auburn, Maine, followed by Providence, Rhode Island, New Bedford, Massachusetts, followed by Burlington, Vermont, followed by Boston, followed by Albany, Schenectady, and Troy, New York, followed by Hartford and New Haven, Connecticut, followed by Rochester, New York, followed by Santa Barbara, uh, Santa Maria, and San Luis Obispo, California, followed by Seattle, Tacoma, Washington. That's the top ten post-Christian areas. You may be startled to know, if you don't already know this, that number 51 in these United States of America is Waco, Temple, Killeen, Bryan College Station, Texas. And all along, we thought we lived in the buckle of the Bible Belt. There is no longer a buckle. We are more post-Christian than Portland, Oregon, than Milwaukee, Wisconsin, than Eugene, Oregon, or St. Louis, Missouri, or Cincinnati, or San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, and on and on and on it goes. 
startling. And you and I thought all our neighbors went to church. No, they don't. And our college students did their recent survey in getting ready for renewal church and planting renewal church. They did surveys. They knocked on doors all over North Belton simply asking, we are here representing a new church plant. We just want to know, is there anything we can pray about for you? Didn't invite them to church yet. Didn't try to witness to them. Didn't try to do anything except, is there anything we can pray about? Most of the answers were no or I don't believe in prayer, or I don't believe in God, or you can get off my front porch now. That's North Belton, West Temple, Texas. We're not talking downtown New York City. We're talking here. Now, the Bible says is no longer a, a, no longer means anything to millions in our own nation. It is unthinkable or was once unthinkable that just a few years ago, our government through the Supreme Court would legalize marriage between two men and two women. And on the Sunday after that Supreme Court ruling, I addressed that briefly in a statement. You may remember it. And I listed some things that are coming next. And one of those was polyamory. In other words, a man may be married to multiple women or a woman may be married to multiple men. And I want you to know that that is now before several state legislatures and ultimately will be considered in the courts, will eventually go through the legal system because some are saying, what's the big deal? If a man or a woman want to be married to multiple partners, they're not hurting anybody. What's the big deal? So... When people talked about a slippery slope of the Supreme Court ruling, we're sliding fast. Who would have ever thought that a man could declare himself to be a woman and go into a women's bathroom when you're in there with your granddaughter? And the reaction to the states who tried to outlaw that was immediate and vicious. I hope you were keeping up with it. One example was that North Carolina decided to pass a law making that illegal for men to go into women's bathrooms, what totally and completely. The National Basketball Association went ballistic and said to Charlotte, either North Carolina changes its laws or we will pull the all-star game from Charlotte in 2017. And they did. Then North Carolina modified the law, and the NBA rewarded North Carolina with the 2019 All-Star Game, which was played just a number of weeks ago. Georgia passed a law outlawing abortion once there is a fetal heartbeat, once a heartbeat can be detected. Did you notice that Hollywood went ballistic? It's because Georgia is now Hollywood East. They have uh, a lot of money has been invested in making of movies and movie studios in Georgia. And so Hollywood has said, change the law or we're pulling out and we'll take our billions of dollars with us. We will see what will happen. And there's a ton more. I, I know you're keeping up with these things. 
We live in a day in which there are no more moral absolutes. And because of that, it leads in a decisive direction away from God. Whatever the motives may have been for the Dayton killer, we're not sure yet. We know the motives of the El Paso killer apparently were racist. And why would we be surprised? Because we live in a day of no moral absolutes that are leading people away from God. Christ and the gospel are offensive. Christ and the gospel are offensive. So I want to clarify why and set the groundwork for this entire series by sharing with you three reasons and two consequences of why Christ and the gospel are offensive. The first reason is found in the opening verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Later in that chapter, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. When you make a claim, standing upon the authority of the word of God, that God created you are immediately offensive to many people who refuse to believe that if there is a God, that he is in control of this universe. More on that in a moment. We see almost a battle being waged between science and Christianity, which is sad indeed because science has its place. But scripture also has its place of authority. Perhaps you saw this week that we had, or last week, that we had an asteroid that almost hit the earth. Did you see that? Uh, it was called, they nicknamed it 2019 OK. In the 1998 movie Armageddon, the administrator of NASA, played by Billy Bob Thornton, informs the President of the United States that a huge asteroid is on a collision course with Earth. The President asked, why didn't we see this coming? The administrator replies that our budget only allows us to track about 3% of the sky. And begging your pardon, sir, it's a really big sky. That scene comes to mind based on what happened on July the 25th. This asteroid, 100 meters wide, passed within 73,000 kilometers of Earth. And you may say, oh, that's a long way off. No, it isn't. The moon is 384,000 kilometers away. This asteroid was only 73,000 kilometers away. And if it had hit the earth, it was large enough to take out one of our major cities. How come we didn't know it? How come it was a surprise? Uh, Scientists said we, we didn't see it. We didn't know it was coming. This was a surprise because they're only surveying part of the sky and they didn't see it so now i've taken away your security blanket in which you thought all along well if there's ever an asteroid coming we'll have plenty of advance notice likely not and so we're just reminded that though some would worship at the holy grail of science science is certainly not 
always accurate or correct. I remember the words of the prophet in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Here's the problem. There is a God who is the creator of all. He owns the world, and he rules this world in holiness and righteousness, and one day he will judge this world and all the people in it. I just drew the line in the sand. There is problem number one. Oh, no, 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 they say. If God exists, he would never do that. He is a benevolent grandfather who, quite frankly, needs to butt out. If I need him, I'll call out to him. The problem began in Genesis chapter 3 when man decided to question God. Eating the fruit was a rejection of God on the part of Adam and Eve. Do not feel sorry for Adam and Eve. Eating the fruit was a rejection of God as the one who determines good and evil. I will decide what's good for me. Man decides morality, not God. Everything quickly becomes subjective. Culture then determines what's right and what's wrong. The gospel is counter-cultural. The gospel proclaims a definite way to life eternal, a definite way to live, and it clarifies right from wrong, sin is sin. The Bible begins with God. Culture wants to begin with man. So problem number one, God created and therefore has the right to tell me what to do. I belong to him. For some, they oppose that overtly. For others, more subtly. But that is issue number one. Issue number two, is found in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans six twenty-three: the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man sinned, and it is serious, and we cannot be flippant about sin. And yet we know today that the one statement that we most dread hearing or most fear hearing is for someone to say, how dare you judge me? We don't want to hear that. Jesus has the authority to forgive and Jesus has the authority to judge. And taking the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the question becomes not how could a loving God judge sinners Rather, how can a holy God not judge sinners? And the answer is found in Jesus, who took our punishment on himself, on his own innocent heart on the cross. He died for you and me that our sins might be forgiven. So there are some who would say, as we identify problem number two, how dare God judge me? 
And what difference does it make that a Jew died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago? What difference does that make in my life? Now, problem number three is found in the Gospel of John. And the first verse that I read is John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then from John 10, uh, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. There is one way to God. Jesus is exclusive And that was an audacious claim. If there are many ways to God, as our culture says, then the death of Jesus on a cross was unnecessary and an abomination. And Jesus, as C.S. Lewis so famously said, is either a liar or a lunatic And either one of those disqualifies him to be a savior. Jesus said, follow me and receive eternal life. Reject me and suffer the penalty of separation from God in hell for eternity. Total rejection of that is our culture. And unfortunately, it's even taking over in churches today. The real problem, and hear me well, because we spent a lot of time talking about these things, the real problem is not what we believe about marriage. It is not what we believe about transgenderism. It is not what we believe even about sex trafficking. It is that we believe what Jesus said. It is impossible Hear me well, it is impossible to be a Christ follower while denying his word and disobeying what the Bible says. So there are two consequences. You have the three reasons. There are two consequences, the first of which we find in the Gospel of Matthew, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Later in the chapter, Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So, First of the two consequences is this. We have to choose to, to stand or to crumble. To stand or to crumble. It is easier in this life, in the short term, to crumble. To be silent. To appear to give tacit approval of culture. That's not an option. For the child of God. I am not calling today for an in-your-face, 
pietism. But I am calling for us to have spiritual spines. To say to others, I love you. But consider what Jesus and the scriptures have to say. And then let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking you're the Holy Spirit. You're not. We simply say what Jesus said, what the scripture says, and let the Holy Spirit take it from there. So we should teach clearly what scripture says, knowing scripture, and especially to help our youth and young adults in our church. I'm really proud of what Eddie does with our childhood education ministry and and what Brad and Les do with our youth ministry and what Logan does with our college students is they really major on what the Word of God says, and they do it so effectively, and I'm so grateful for these young people who are learning and standing on the Word of God. Now, the second and final consequence is Second Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, without forgiveness, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Uh, I think we saw that lived out yesterday and we'll see it lived out again today and the next day and the next day. Now, here's the second consequence. Are we falling apart or are things falling into place? I hear people, I hear Christians say all the time, our world's falling apart, America's falling apart, everything's falling apart. No, I don't think so. What I think is happening is that everything's falling into place. Everything's falling into place for the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that with all my heart. So when you see the news this afternoon, it will be discouraging. It will be heartbreaking. But take heart. Remember that you are seeing things fall into place for the end of time. Now, what do we do with all this as we begin this series on what in the world is happening here? Here's what I want to encourage you to do as the children of God. Know the scripture. Read it every day. So that when you hear something that is false, you'll spot it immediately. Know the scripture. Frankly, um, there are a lot of Christians in, in the country today who seem to be compromising and for many of them, it's not compromising because they want to compromise. They, st- they don't know what the Bible says, so they just hear something. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Know your Bible. Pray earnestly daily. Pray earnestly every single day for the church, for you, for your family, for our nation. Pray earnestly daily. Then discern, be wise, be aware 
Keep up with what's going on. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Be discerning. Be aware of what's happening around you. Stand with other believers. Stand with other believers. The church has never been more important than it is today. And yet it is, seems to be a day when many just seem to think, well, if I don't have anything else to do and it isn't raining, I'll go to church. But four out of five, six out of seven, eight out of nine weeks, I'm going to be off doing something else. The church is more important than it's ever been before, and we need to stand with one another. Follow this series. I'm just going to do the best I can and as the Holy Spirit leads me. So just keep up with what, what's going on. If you have to be gone, listen to it online and catch up. Then finally, live a kind, gracious, loving life as a Christian. Live a kind, gracious, loving life as a Christian. Your neighbor won't be convinced by angry rhetoric. They will not be convinced by any of your arguments. But they may be persuaded. They may be persuaded when they look at you and see Jesus in you. And that's our responsibility for today and the days to come. Let's bow together for prayer. In a moment, we'll stand. Brother Gary will lead us in an invitation song. The Holy Spirit has spoken to someone this morning who needs Jesus. It may be that you've been battling for quite some time the call of Christ to your heart. But this is the day. This is the moment. This is the hour. Leave your seat wherever you are. Come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. A member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to open God's Word to share with you. All around this room, there are believers, majority of believers in this room. What is it God wants you to do as an individual believer in these days in which we live? I gave you a list at the end of the message. Put it into practice. God will bless. God will encourage. God will strengthen. So, Father, we cry out to you today. We, we hurt. We hurt by what we see, what we hear. And it just shows more and more the need for people to know Jesus. The angry voices are coming from people who, who don't know you, don't really know you. And so, Father, I pray that you would do something extraordinary in this place this morning that Jesus might be exalted and that when we leave this place today, we would make a difference where we work, where we go to school, the neighborhood in which we live, that we will make a difference for Jesus. In the Savior's name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing. Are you in a weekly Bible study? 
If you are not connected with First Baptist Belton in one of our small groups, we'd love to have you. Sunday school classes meet every Sunday morning from 945 to 1045 a.m. And no matter what age or stage of life you're in, we have a place for you. 